All right, open up your Bibles, James chapter five. James chapter five. I promise we're gonna end it today. You guys are like, how long is he gonna talk about prayer? Well, today's not, well, we'll talk about prayer more, but we end our prayer series today. If you're joining us for the first time, we've been in a four-week series. Today's the last day. If you want to catch up on where we've been, you can go on our website, on our research page, and you can check out the rest of the other sermons. And we find ourselves at the very end of James chapter 5, and James is simply saying this, like that prayer is really important. And no matter where you find yourself in, whatever season that you're in, James is saying pray. Life is good. Life is great. Pray. If you're suffering, pray. If you're sick, pray. We'll come pray for you. Um, Last week we pivoted. Last week we said, okay, not only does James say to pray during these times in your life, because all of us find ourselves um, in those places, but but oftentimes we, we tend to think of prayer of like silent individual prayer, right? Like I was doing some research for this uh, men's Bible study. Um, you guys would be proud of me. Can I go on a tangent? You guys would be proud of me. So um, I feel bad for the staff because for the last like year, I'm always like getting stuff done by the end of the week. This week, guys, I got the sermon done a little bit early. Got the slides into the communications department. Come on, I'm not, yeah. Like, um, I was working ahead of time. Like, I'm already working on the men's Bible study that's happening in three weeks. Like, come on. Like, if you know me, I would be working on that, like, Friday night. So I'm really happy with myself. I don't know why I went on that tangent. Um, what am I going with? Yeah. Oh, so, um, so I'm doing some research on, this, on the men's Bible study, apart from the book. Um, and this is a, a statistic that I found that I thought you would think is interesting. It's a statistic from 2017. And the statistic is 72% of praying adults most often pray silently and by themselves. 82%. That's a good thing, right? Like, whoever says that, that's, that's really good. But then they had some different categories, and the next category were, was, like, do you pray with other people in your church community or with a group of people? And it was only, like, 2% of those people did, did that. Which, it's kind of, you're praying, Great, but, but also there's an aspect to praying together, praying with each other. That's why we have a prayer moment in the service, right? Like we could easily sing another song, but we decide that we want to pray. We're very comfortable praying by ourselves silently. Last week we had to pray with each other. I'm sure everyone was squirming. Everyone was like, Aah! don't want to do that. But, but, but in scripture, when we see Um, The body of Christ, when we see the church praying, they often pray together. When we went through the Acts series, what did we see the church do? When they were asking God to to release um, um, the apostles from prison, it wasn't like, and they prayed silently to themselves. It was like, no, they prayed together. So last week we talked about what does it look like to pray for each other. Today we're going to talk about what does it look like to pray with each other. And there's two ideas that we're going to draw from, um, but um, we find ourselves in uh, James chapter 5. Unfortunately, like in my notes, I usually put the Bible verse, uh, so a sneak peek behind the scenes. I usually read the Bible on my iPad because it's already in my notes. Um, And then I misquote, I used a different version, and some people looked at me, oh, you quoted it differently, so I'm going to read from my Bible. James chapter 5. If you're in in, um, the Pewback Bible in front of you, it's on page 1013. 
We've been starting at um, 13, but we're going to focus on 16 through 18. Verse 16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed, right? That idea of praying for each other, praying with each other. My favorite part of the verse, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Verse 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruits. Look with me again. Verse 16, therefore confess your sins to one another. To be honest with you, when I was prepping for this series, I found myself in James chapter five, but I was like, I won't get to 16, and if I do, I'll just skip right over it. (laughs) Here's why. Like, it's kind of off-putting, isn't it? Like, who wants to confess their sins to each other? Not me. You don't, you don't want to know me, right? Like, there, there is that sense, right? Like, when you read this passage, it says, confess your sins to one another. Like, you look at it, you're like, oh, that's a good idea for other people, but not for me, right? Like, I, I, I don't, I don't want to share my sins. Like, I don't want to be open and vulnerable and authentic in that way. And there's several reasons why. We'll get through it, but some of them are like, because people judge each other. There's a lack of forgiveness in in our church culture, right? Like we are very comfortable are projecting the good qualities and characteristics that we have. We are often, often, if not all the time, often uh, faced with this idea. We don't want people to know who we are. We don't want them to know the junk, right? Like we're not gonna tell them or show them in the small group or in our ABF that, that the marriage is broken and it's falling apart. We're not going to share that, hey, we're struggling with pornography or, or sexual immorality. No, we're not going to share those things. We're not going to share that, like, we struggle with gossip or we struggle with, 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 like, with pride or selfishness. Like, we're not going to talk about those things because we don't want them to know because that's not what Christians do, right? Christians are like this superior group of people, better than the world, and we don't struggle with those things, and the truth is, like, that is the lie that we have convinced ourselves that like somehow, some way, we're supposed to project all the good things that we are, all the things that we want people to see and never talk about the bad things. And then James is saying, confess your sins to one another. Two questions, two questions came up. I was like, oh my gosh, what am I gonna do with this passage? Like what, what is James actually saying? Like, what does he really mean that? Does he is he truly saying that he wants us to confess? Like and to who, when, and what, right? So so there's two questions that, that came to mind. The first question is why why should we confess our sins to one another? And there's a connection to prayer, right? So we're talking about prayer. You're like, how does confession connect with prayer? So so we'll talk about that in a minute. But the first question is, why should I confess my sins to others? 
especially when we already believe that Jesus already forgave us of our sin, right? The Bible says, confess your sins to him. He is faithful and just to forgive us, right? So, so why do I need to confess sin? Do I, do I need to confess it because I get absolved of that sin or, or God forgives me when I confess it to someone? No, that, that's not what he's saying, but we'll talk about that. The second question is, what should I confess and who should I confess to? Right, because it's easy to say, oh, confess your sins to one another, but it's like, what are we gonna do in the service? We're gonna have a parade of people coming up and say, hey, this is what I did this week. This is what I did last week, and it's just like, oh my gosh, at some point you're like, please stop sharing. You've been sharing for a couple of weeks already. Like, there's some people who just overshare sometimes. Do you know those people? Just like, oh my gosh. You're like, please stop, stop. If, if you don't, I will make you stop. Um, then there are people like me who don't say anything. How's, I'm notorious for this. How are you doing? Oh, I'm good, I'm fine. And I'm like crumbling inside. I'm like humming that anxiety feeling, oh, I'm fine. And life is falling apart, right? All right, so, so let's answer that first question. Why should I confess my sins to others? Um, here's the first reason why I think we need to confess our sins to each other is because of this. Sin, sin's desire for us is to isolate us from God and other people. Sin's desire is to isolate us from God and other people. And how does, how does he do that? By keeping us silent. The reason why sin wants us to be isolated from God is because, because then when we're isolated from God, we, we don't feel forgiven. We don't know that we're forgiven. We don't feel loved. We don't know that we are loved. Like, like sin's desire is to separate us from God so that we can have a bad perspective of ourselves and of God. We will think that he's not gracious and kind and loving. We'll think he's not holy or just, right? Like, like it separates us from God and other people. It keeps us distant. Because sin, sin plants a seed in our heart and our mind and it says two things. It says, one, this is not a sin. Two, you're too guilty of this sin. You ought not to, to share it with anyone. So sin's desire is to isolate us, right? And, and what it does is over time, when it isolates us, it, it makes us heavy. It makes us carry a burden that we were never meant to carry. Think about that. Sin makes us carry a burden that we were never meant to carry. Look what, look what David says in the Psalms. David says in Psalms 32, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away from my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Look what happens with sin. Sin we end up carrying a burden we were never meant to carry and it wastes us away. We become obsessed with the sin of either trying to hide it or we become obsessed with the sin in the sense of like, I want to do it more or I, 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 I can control this, right? But then look what David says. He says, I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. That, that's the power of confession. Now, obviously, he's talking about confessing his sin to the Lord, but, but there's also something important about confessing our sin to other people. Other people can pray for us. 
Other people can remind us that we are forgiven. Other people can say, hey, listen, you're no longer guilty of that sin. Jesus paid on the cross for that sin. You don't have to walk in that sin anymore. You're no longer a slave to that sin. He actually rescued you out of the muck and the mire. You can walk in freedom from that sin. One day, you will see that sin ultimately defeated. But sin says, no, I'm gonna isolate you from God and from other people. Here's another reason why we ought to confess sins to each other. It's to defend ourselves from guilt. Excuse me, not guilt, sorry. (laughs) Defend ourselves from pride. Sin has an awful way of making us puffed up inside. Sin has an awful way of making us think that we are in control of our sin. Oh, I can do better. I, I can control this. On my own strength, in my own power, I can control this. And my question to you is, what is that sin that has taught you, made you believe that you can control it? Or what the world says. The world said there is no sin, right? So, so pride puffs up in our heart, and then sin says, that's not a sin, it's just a mistake. That's not sin, it's just a character flaw. No, no, you don't have to fix it. There's nothing wrong with you. That's, that's who you are, and everyone should accept you for who you are, right? Like, if you are naturally prideful, egotistical, and self-centered, that's who you are, so everyone should accept you for that. You like to gossip and talk bad about other people. You use words to hurt other people. That's who you are. You're keeping it real. You're keeping it 100, right? Like, that's what, that's what the, the sin says. It's okay. Sin says, no, you can treat your wife or your husband inappropriately. You can, you can hurt them because, hey, they knew what they got when they married me, right? Like, that's what sin says. It puffs up inside and says, it's not a sin, And what confession does is it brings it to light and says, no, this is a sin, and we can help you take care of it. On the flip side, right, the third reason why we should confess our sins is to defend ourselves from shame. I know this for myself. Sin oftentimes makes us feel unrighteous, right? Like, there are times in my life that I think, like, God, how... Why do you love me? Why do you allow me to work in a church? Why, why do you use me the way you use me? Like, do you not remember the thing that I did yesterday? Do you not remember the thing I did years ago? Like, like I don't deserve your grace and your mercy. So, so shame says, like, you don't deserve love. You don't deserve grace. You don't deserve mercy. And there's a culture of shame in our church. And when I mean church, I mean the universal church. Because there are many people in the universal church that think like somehow we stand before this angry, judgmental God. And we do stand before a holy and just God. But there are people who think like God is absolutely angry with us. And that every wrong decision we make, every sin that we commit, he's actually going to punish us and pour out his wrath, right? Like we want the wrath. There's this angriness to God. So shame says you stand before this angry, judgmental God that's just waiting for you to screw up, waiting for you to mess up, and then he's going to point it, point his finger at you and say, you're not worthy. You don't deserve my grace. You don't deserve my love. You don't deserve my mercy. And though we stand before a holy God and we stand before a just God, we also stand before a loving, gracious, merciful father, right? Like the two are true. 
that God addresses sin in our life, but he's also merciful. He doesn't give us what we deserve, death and punishment. There are people who live in shame thinking that God somehow is angry with them. And they live with a seat of bitterness in their life, thinking about sins that they committed in the past, not realizing that you're walking in the grace and mercy of a loving father who paid for that sin. So you, you live in this shame. You live in the guilt. And God is saying, I don't even remember what you did. The only thing I see is what I've done. The only thing I see is my righteousness put on you. So why are we walking in the shame? And then we live in a church culture, right? That loves to be judgmental. There's no forgiveness. That's the cancel culture, right? Cancel culture says, no, 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 no. You made a mistake. You, you screwed up. You don't deserve to, be, to receive grace and mercy. And that's infected the church, the cancel culture. You don't deserve this. You don't deserve that. We're about forgiveness, we, we've, we've, forgotten the, we've forgotten about forgiveness. We don't want to forgive because we want other people to hurt. We want other people to pay, not realizing the son of God who didn't have to pay for it, paid for it, was crucified, beaten, and we don't want to forgive. Yet we want the forgiveness for God, but we don't want to extend that forgiveness for other people. That's the world that we live in. But, but you see what James is saying? That's not who we have to be. We should be able to confess our sins to each other. We should be able to, to tell people what are the things that we're struggling with. Here, here's the last reason why I think we should confess sins is because when we confess sin, it should lead us to restoration and reconciliation, right? That's the point. Not only confessing your sin, but confessing the sins you've committed to other people, right? That, that's another aspect of it. I think of Galatians chapter six when, when Paul says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of, spirit of gentleness. Spirit of, not spirit of condemnation, not spirit of judgmentalness, the spirit of gentleness. The whole point of confessing sin is so that you can be restored and reconciled to each other. What greater testimony it is to the world that doesn't know how to forgive, that doesn't know how to confess, that the body of Christ says that I will forgive you, you are forgiven. When they're trying to cancel each other out because of something that they did to each other, what does the body of Christ do? It does the opposite to show what? to show that we are different, that we're not the same. We don't treat each other the same way the world treats each other. That we're forgiving. And I struggle with that. I have a hard time, people who have hurt me. There are people who have hurt me badly, but I'm sure there are people that I've hurt. And have I hurt anybody in this room or you know I've hurt anybody, I'm sorry. I plead for your forgiveness. Because I am well aware that I've been forgiven. I'm currently being forgiven. And tomorrow, next year, I'm gonna be forgiven. So let's extend the forgiveness to each other. Let's not sweep it on the rug, just forgive. Just as you've been forgiven. 
Okay, this is the second question we have to answer, right? So, so why should we f- confess our sins? I kind of give you the why. Here, here's the what and who, right? So these are just practical ideas. Because it's not, James is not saying, hey, listen, I want you to, I want you to share everything that you've been through. We, we don't want that here, okay? We, we don't want it. We're good. We don't need to know everything. But, but here, here's what, what I think we ought to confess, um, we ought to confess our struggles and our burdens. And, and I love what John MacArthur says. So if you don't believe me, you can believe John MacArthur. John MacArthur says this, based on this passage, this is what he says, I think it's beautiful. He says, you tell someone else where, you, where your battle is and then pray for their battle so that you don't become weak and defeated and weary and exhausted and wounded and victimized. Like that's the power of confession. The whole point that James is trying to say is that when we confess our sins, right, we're confessing our struggle, we're confessing where we're fighting, we're confessing the errors in our life that, that we're losing ground on so that what? We as the body of Christ can pray for each other. It's not to gossip, it's not to point the finger, it's to say that you don't have to battle this sin on your own. I'm gonna stand with you to fight that battle. I'm going to lift you up in prayer. When you don't know what to pray, I'm going to pray for you. And not only am I going to pray for you, I'm going to forgive you. And when other people don't forgive you, we know that God has forgiven you and I'll forgive you. That's the point of confessing sin is so that it leads to prayer. Where are you battling? What is your struggle? Is it your marriage? Is it your words? Is it your actions? Is it pornography? What, what's your struggle? Bring it to the light so that we can fight with you. We can stand with you, reminding you, hey, you haven't lost this battle. This battle actually has already been won. You, you have enough fight in you today. Let, let me fight with you. How can I pray for you? How can I keep you accountable? What do we have to do to help you? What, 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 what do you need? I'm here for you. That's the body of Christ. The question is, who do you do that to, right? Here's my thing, practical. Um, you should only confess sin to trusted people, godly people, wise people. The trusted, godly, wise. Because here's another thing in our church. Big C Church. We got people who gossip. We got people, like, there, there are people that you can't share information. They're dying to find out that information to use it against you or to, to spread it around. That you want to know one of the reasons why we don't have a spirit of confession in this church or authenticity, genuineness, and transparency in our small groups or in our ABFs is because there are people who are not trusted with information. You just want to know, not to pray, not to help, not to serve, but you just want to know because in you, 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 you have that feeling of comparison, right? Like you want to know that someone else is struggling so you can feel good about yourself or you want to use that information as someone like who is in the know so you can tell everybody else what's going on. And then we have people here who, who, who won't confess. My question to you, are you a trusted person in this church that someone can come to you and say, listen, I'm, I'm struggling here. Can you pray for me? Are you one of those people that people avoid because, because you have a bad habit of just, 
of opening your mouth when you shouldn't. Like, that's who we confess to, trusted, godly, wise people. This is our staff members. These are our ABF leaders. These are our small group leaders. These are wise, especially women. Women, there are godly, wise women here who have been through it. Those are trusted women. If you need a list, I'll give you a list. Trusty, godly, wise men in this church that you can say, hey, listen, I'm struggling with this. I know for me, and it's a coincidence that he's on the other border, but it's John. John, John knows a whole lot about me because I trust John. You know why I trust John? Because John doesn't tell anybody my business for the sake of telling it. John's a prayer warrior. That, that's someone you need to be looking for. Who, who are those people in your life that you can trust? So, so we're talking about confession. What does it have to do with prayer? But if you notice what James says, like to confess your sins to one another, so that what? So that you can pray, right? So, so confession leads to prayer. And what are we praying for? We're praying for the person who's struggling in that battle. That's, that's called intercessory prayer, where you intercede on someone's behalf, asking God to do what only he can do in their life. Because oftentimes we don't know what to say. We don't know what to do. We don't know what we need. And someone who has perspective, someone who's godly, wise, and trusted can lift up prayers to the Lord with you to keep you accountable and say, God, you have to intervene because this person is struggling with the sin. Then James goes on to say, the rest of verse 16 says, the prayer, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Quickly, Confession leads to prayer, but then he says the prayer is effective. What does that mean? What does that mean for us? We'll look at that verse and we'll say, oh, he's talking about the righteous person. He's not talking about you and me. He, he's talking about those, you know, those super-duper Christians, the one that have the Bible memorized from front to back, the people who go to all the Bible studies, you know, the Bible that's falling apart, <laughs> right? Um, the super-duper Christians that we know that, that like are faithful believers, they go to church every day and they lead a group and they go to all the studies and they just, they're well put together. No, that's not who James is talking about. Who's James talking about? He's talking about you and me. Do you want to know why he's talking about you and me? The ordinary people. All of us. Because you know why? Because this is what Romans 3 says. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory to God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Who are the righteous? You and me. How are we made righteous? God has given us his righteousness. So what James is saying is that all of us in this room are not the super duper Christians that we tend to look at through scripture. And he says, you and I are made righteous in him, therefore our prayers are effective. Our prayers are working. And he gives the example. He says, Elijah. Wait a minute, Elijah? Look at verse 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. You tend to think of the story of Elijah, right? Elijah was this guy that called down fire from heaven and consumed false prophets. Elijah that stopped the rain from coming for three years 
and you look at that person, you say, oh, that's not me. Elijah was a prophet. But no, what, what James is saying, Elijah is just like you and me. We are no different from Elijah. This is the same Elijah. If you remember, I just said he called down fire from heaven to consume the false prophets. Do you know what happened right after that? He con- the fire comes down, consumes all the false prophets, and then this is what, Eli- this is what happens. The queen says, oh, I'm going to come get you. I'm going to kill you. And you know what he does? He runs. You just called down fire from heaven. And you're afraid of someone who gave you a threat? Like, like what are we doing here? What's going on? Right? What, what James is saying, that Elijah is no different for you and me. And if Elijah can pray with great faith, you and I can pray with great faith, believing that God can do what we cannot. So Elijah's the example. Elijah's the example for us. That you and I can pray. You and I can believe God for big things and great things. You and I can ask God to do the impossible thing. Not because we are righteous, but because God has made us righteous. Because we serve a God who's not only the creator, sustainer of the universe, but we serve a God who's also our father, who keeps no good gift from his children. So if the good gift is to answer the prayer and say yes, then he's going to give it to us. The question still stands. Why don't we pray more? Why don't we believe God for more? Why are we very much comfortable with our own way of figuring out how to deal with the situations in our life? Why don't we draw to God in prayer? It's because we don't believe it works. But if we want to follow the example of Elijah, he believed it worked and he prayed. A couple of questions for you to reflect on as we end. One, are you a person who prays? Do you spend intentional time talking to God? Do you spend time praying for others and praying with others? Two, when we're thinking about confession, have you allowed pride or shame to creep and take control of your heart that keeps you distant from God and distant from other people when we're confessing? Third question, are you a safe person we can trust? I can trust. Someone else can trust to confess their sins. If not, why not? Why are you not a trusted person? Last one, this is gonna hit hard for me. This is where I'm at. I'm in all those things, by the way. Do you lack the faith to believe that God hears your prayers because of your sin and your past? Let's pray to the Lord. Let's ask God that he would give us the great conviction and passion to pray, not only for ourselves, but for others. Why don't you ask God that we would be a church that's transparent, open, vulnerable, in ways that leads us to godliness, in ways that leads us to Jesus. Like, let's be a church who's forgiving and loving and kind and gracious, not only to others, but to ourselves, realizing that God had paid it all for us. Take a moment and pray.
Father God, we need you. We need you in our minds. We need you in our hearts. We need you in our actions. God, would you, oh Lord, give us a deep sense of our need for you that would drive us to pray, that would drive us to pray for each other and with each other. God, where we failed, where if we've sinned, would you remind us that we're forgiven, that we walk in the path of righteousness and sanctification, that you do not accuse us of our sin. You don't guilt us in shame, God. You, you restore us and reconcile us. God, if there's sin in our hearts where we struggle, God, would you just change us, mold us into the men and women you've called us to be? God, I pray for this church. I pray whatever path you take us down, that we will be a church that prays fervently, silently, courageously, boldly, corporately, individually, God, that we would be known as a church who prayed that we wouldn't be known for the lofty, influential sermons or the, the great music or the, the awesome Bible classes. God, that we would be known for a church that prayed, that the, the lost would come in here, the, the, the sick would come in here, the, the desperate would come in here and know that this is the place in which, in which we pray, pray for each other. Help us, oh Lord. In Jesus' name, we all say, This has been a message from the chapel. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about the chapel or any of our campuses, including Akron, Green, Wadsworth, Kenmore, Cuyahoga Falls, Nordonia, and Medina, please go to our website at thechapel.life.